discuter de tout ça. I don't want to set the world on fire. We interrupt our program to bring you this important message. Good evening, good afternoon, or good morning, whenever it may be, wherever you may be, and however you may be hearing my voice. Whether it be via download through one of the many podcast platforms, or if you are listening to the premiere on the Alternate Current Radio's live stream, I appreciate you tuning in and joining me as we attempt to navigate the shark-infested waters of the agenda-centivized media and look past the propaganda. This is your daily dose of what's currently all the ruckus. What in God's name is going on in here? What was that ruckus? Uh, what ruckus? I was just in my office and I heard a ruckus. Could you describe the ruckus, sir? Watch your tongue, young man. Watch it. Is your baby racist? Are your children reading books that contain offensive depictions of non-white characters? Or playing with toys that blatantly reinforce non-PC gendered stereotypes? Are your kids watching grossly inappropriate and mature cartoons? Are there any healthy and socially acceptable activities that children could be doing instead of all of the above? Stay tuned for the answers to all these questions and so much more. You're listening to Alternate Current Radio. I'm Adam Clark, and this is The Daily Ruckus. Every once in a while, I feel it necessary to add a little disclaimer to the beginning of my show, and or as a reminder to all of you out there, that what you are about to hear on this episode, as well as most episodes of The Daily Ruckus, is not my original content. Therefore, if anything that I say while reading an article makes you upset, just remember I didn't write it. You can always find the links to these stories on the show notes for each of the episodes that I do. And you could just click on those and let the author of the content know how you feel, but if it's got you so fuming mad that you just can't be bothered to do all of that, well then by all means feel free to send me an email. It's ruckus at alternatecurrentradio.com. And now that we got that out of the way, let's go ahead and get this out of the way. Spiked Online asks, Have you ever wondered if your baby is racist? You should, according to the Arizona Department of Education. Journalist Christopher Rufo's investigations have revealed how far critical race theory has spread in America's institutions, including, most alarmingly, in schools. His latest discovery is that the Arizona Department of Education has released a new quote-unquote equity toolkit intended to help families and teachers tackle racism among children. It advises that even babies as young as three months old can show racial prejudice. According to the toolkit, by the age of two and a half, kids use race to determine who their playmates should be. It says, quote, expressions of racial prejudice often peak at ages four and five. By kindergarten, children show many of the same racial attitudes that adults in our culture hold. They have already learned to associate some groups with higher status than others, end quote. So what should we do about this? The toolkit says that children must be made aware that, quote, the reality in which they are embedded ascribes unearned privileges to their whiteness, end quote. This madness is the inevitable result of the cult of critical race theory. No 
one should be surprised that those who see racism everywhere see it in babies too. Once, kids were rightly seen as uniquely free of society's prejudices, but racism is now considered to be so pervasive that even the most innocent are seen as stained by this original sin. This idea has even inspired children's books. Last year, celebrated anti-racist activist Ibram X. Kendi released Anti-Racist Baby, aimed at churning preschoolers woke. This divisive racial obsession has no place in schools, nurseries, or anywhere where kids can be found. We must not raise a generation of children to think that quote-unquote race is an essential part of one's identity, as one recommended resource in the Arizona Toolkit claims. If the zealots get their way, woke idiocy will be shoved down children's throats the minute they come out the womb. SpikedOnline.com Meh, I can think of worse things that could be shoved down children's throats the minute they come out the womb. Yeah, that email again was ruckus at alternatecurrentradio.com. But in all seriousness, folks, as reported on Forbes, to help kids make sense of the COVID-19 pandemic and its attendant changes in day-to-day life, children's books are exploring modern life, including wearing masks. Sharing a Smile by Nikki Kramer, illustrated by Ashley Evans, is one such title, published February 23rd by Simon & Schuster Books for young readers. The 32-page children's picture book aimed at ages four and up features young Sophie, who misses seeing the smiles of people in her neighborhood, like her friendly mail carrier, because they're now wearing masks. To help brighten their days, and hers, Sophie, with help from her grandfather, creates masks for her neighbors and friends to match their personalities and interests, such as one decorated with lions to help her friend Jenny be brave. Evans has been an illustrator since 2010, but only began work as a children's illustrator in in 2018 when she signed with the Bright Agency. Of Sharing a Smile, Evans says she was interested in working on it because, quote, this story felt very timely and very warmly written. I love how the book is centered around a child and her grandfather working on community care and how the project helps them cope with the ways their lives have changed during the pandemic, end quote. As for the favorite part of her story, Evans says hers, quote, is when Sophie and her grandpa are leaving their house and Sophie looks excited to hand out masks, and there are lots of butterflies flying around, end quote. Evans hopes kids, quote, take away the message of kindness and caring for their community, and how things that seem scary or uncertain can sometimes be made better when we remember that we can help others, and vice versa, end quote. Forbes.com. And hey, speaking of children's books, I guess now is a good time to address the Horton in the room. Get it? Horton was an elephant in one 
one of the Dr. Seuss books? Never mind. In an opinion piece written last week by Aiken Ola for The Guardian, on Tuesday, the estate of Dr. Seuss decided that it will cease publishing six books by the beloved children's author which contain offensive depictions of non-white characters. A week earlier, Hasbro, the manufacturer of Mr. Potato Head, announced that the toy will henceforth be known by the non-gendered moniker Potato Head. An army of defenders has now risen to protect the sanctity of Mr. Potato Head and Dr. Seuss. Social media and conservative news outlets have been consumed with memes and hot takes, declaring the dangerous overreach of quote-unquote cancel culture, which they define as the process of punishing a person or product deemed offensive by some vague set of modern moral standards. Fox News dedicated much of Tuesday to proclaiming the end of Dr. Seuss at the hands of liberals. One Fox News host, Brian Kilmeade, exclaimed, quote, The cancel culture is canceling Dr. Seuss. It's out of control, end quote. During a congressional debate, the Republican California congressman, Kevin McCarthy, somehow worked the Seuss controversy into an argument against a bill that would expand voting rights, saying, quote, First they outlaw Dr. Seuss, and then they want to tell us what to say, end quote. Congressman Matt Getz, a Republican from Florida, lambasted the rebranding of Mr. Potato Head during a speech at the Conservative Political Action Conference. Quote, look out, Mr. Potato Head, you're next. I'm sorry, I think now he's going by Potato X. He can't be Mr. Potato, end quote. As is usual with outrage over cancel culture, the discussion is devoid of facts and aimed at a phantom left-wing mob that mainly exists in conservative conservatives' minds. Dr. Seuss and Mr. Potato Head are not being cancelled. They were never going to be, and if anything, the exact opposite is happening. Real cancel culture has existed throughout the history of the United States, and much of what we are witnessing today is meaningless and inconsequential by comparison. First and foremost, neither Dr. Seuss nor Mr. Potato Head are being cancelled. Dr. Seuss's estate decided to voluntarily stop producing six of his books. These books contain racist imagery that Dr. Seuss may too have been ashamed of. During the Second World War, Seuss published anti-Japanese cartoons and vocally supported the establishment of concentration camps for Japanese Americans. Years later, he sought to apologize for his actions and wrote the book Horton Hears a Who to reflect his changed views. The books that will cease publication are nowhere near his most popular works, and it is doubtful most Americans Americans have even heard of them. Those books will not be burned, they were not forced to be removed by a horde of liberals, and the rest of his catalog will remain untouched. The tale of our favorite spud is much the same. Mr. Potato Head is not ceasing to exist, nor is his wife and assumed lover Mrs. Potato Head. Hasbro, the owners of the Potato Head family line of toys, is simply changing the brand's name to Potato Head, which reflects the reality that it covers the Mr., the Mrs., and a growing family of potatoes that they seek to sprout in the near future and quite the opposite of cancellation is on the horizon. Dr. Seuss books are seeing a boost in overall sales, and the books pulled from the shelves are selling for up to $500 online. Hasbro is expecting a similar bump to sales. Its CEO has said he expects double-digit growth in the next year, and the rebranding and expansion of the Potato Headline may be a part of the equation. Whether or not these were calculated marketing strategies is unknowable, but they fall into a well-established 
established pattern in which corporations try to clean up their pasts and appeal to the public in a way that won't negatively affect their ability to reap profits. What we perceive as cancel culture is just a fundamental function of capitalism playing itself out. Companies must adapt with the times to make money on a perpetual track of constant and infinite profit. This is why businesses engage in practices like greenwashing, packaging their goods and services in superficially environmentally friendly ways, while doing little to change their real environmental impact, and pinkwashing, the annual tradition of churning products pink for breast cancer awareness, even for products that may cause cancer themselves. These corporations don't have morals and don't care about taking political or ethical stances. Their bottom line is just that, their bottom line. This is how an oil company like Chevron can pat itself on the back for investing $100 million in lowering emissions while simultaneously investing $20 billion in oil and gas. Or how Baker Hughes, one of the world's largest oil field operators, can proudly distribute 1,000 pink drill bits across the planet while using known and possible carcinogens at their hydraulic fracking facilities. Real cancel culture has existed in the United States and it is worth remembering what it means to be truly canceled. The multiple red scares in the United States involved socialist and allegedly socialist actors, directors, and musicians being spied on and blacklisted by production companies and studios for their political views. People as famous as Charlie Chaplin were accused of subversion and banned from the U.S., while everyday Americans like the Massachusetts schoolteacher Anne Hale had their lives completely and utterly ruined. This wave of cancellation involved institutions like the NAACP and America's largest labor federation, the AFL-CIO, pushing out communist and socialist activists, and government programs like COINTELPRO, arguably an extension of the Red Scare, involved the harassment and sabotage of socialists and other left-wing activists, including the notorious assassination of the 21-year-old Black Panther leader Fred Hampton. Million-dollar corporations in the United States can hardly be cancelled. They can simply rebrand or wait until the storm is over. Real cancel culture has the power of institutions behind it. In an era in which corporations like Amazon are, on one hand, launching smear campaigns against black workers for labor organizing while celebrating Black History Month on the other, it is important for the public to understand the difference between cancel culture and corporate PR. We can cancel corporations only through actions like boycotts, strikes, and seizures of their property for the sake of the public good. But no one is canceling Dr. Seuss, and no one is canceling Mr. Potato Head, despite Hasbro's history of allegedly profiting from child labor and other abuses. Instead of focusing on the outrage of the week, we need to focus on toxic employers who mistreat workers here and abroad, and consider using collective action to punish industries and corporations that have essentially canceled the futures of entire generations. TheGuardian.com um, yeah. Admittedly, there were some parts to that opinion that I could agree with, and some parts that I could completely disagree with. But that's neither here nor there. I am happy to hear, however, that Mr. Potato Head has not officially been cancelled. And in fact, I'd love to talk some more about Mr. Potato Head, and about how California's large retailers might have to do away with boy and girl signs.
lines for toys and childcare aisles, and maybe even how Pepe Le Pew became the latest character in the culture war. But I'm gonna have to save those stories, plus a small handful of others, until the next time. Because although I am not a child anymore, and tonight is definitely not a school night, it is past my bedtime. For the ACR, I'm Adam Clark, and this has been The Daily Ruckus for Friday, March 12, 2021. For more information, please visit alternatecurrentradio.com.